Okay, good morning everybody. Thank you so much for getting up so early, for climbing Mount Everest, and then finding this place. You know, I kind of thought, do people have something against the church and pastors that they put this up here? And then I realized, no, there's a, we're closer to heaven here. So, so, so this is a good place where we belong. Thank you for being here. My name is Gil Odendahl. If this is the session you want to attend, you're at the right place. Uh, we've got a very short time and a lot of material to cover, so we're going to start off here. And I just want to say thank you again for coming. It's, uh, I really appreciate you being here. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for another day. This is the day you have made and we will rejoice in it. We ask, Lord Jesus, that uh, you yourself will touch us. Lord, teach us more what it means to be and not to do. And through our being to see you transform communities. We're not satisfied with development, Lord. We want to see you lifted up and your kingdom come. As you touch people physically and spiritually, emotionally, everywhere. So this morning we humbly ask that you will speak to us. And Lord, help me as one beggar to show other beggars where the bread is. And we ask you'll feed us till we want no more. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, my own history, uh, I'm an African by birth, an American by circumstances, and I became a Christian by the grace of God, and that's really where my citizenship is. Uh, I've been married for 37 years to a wonderful bride, and I've got three children, one living in Lansing, Michigan with her family, the other one living in Tashkent, Uzbekistan with his family, and the other one living in Manila the Philippines with his wife. And then all our other relatives are living in South Africa. So we kind of really spread out people. Personally, uh, my first name, Gil, is the abbreviation for Guillaume, the French for William. From my mother's side, I'm French. And my last name is Dutch. So I'm a mutt. (laughs) Uh, And looking forward to fit into heaven one day. Because I believe that's, that's what we all have to belong and be at. The role of the church and the pastor in the changing missiological landscape. Guys, what is new today? You know what's new? The church. People are rediscovering the church. My own journey, uh, for many years, uh, I was deeply committed to community development. And my heart was broken for the poorest of the poor. I got... uh, sucked into the vortex of HIV and AIDS, and that's still my speciality today. I specifically uh, love to concentrate on the intersection between the cultural, pedagogical, biomedical, and theological aspects of the pandemic. Uh, I've completed a terminal degree focusing on that very thing too once. But you know what? If somebody told me 10, 12 years ago, you'll work exclusively with the church. You'll try to mobilize the church. I would have said, cut my right arm off right now. They say it's the bride of Christ. I say it's bridezilla. I mean, I've been there. I've worked with them. I know it. You get five pastors in a room and you've got seven opinions. (laughs) You know the story of the guy who lived on an island? He lived on an island all by himself. He survived for 11 years. And finally a ship came there and the guy picked him up and he's so happy and he said, okay, you lived here? Yes. He said, here are three huts. What are they? He said, well, this is my house. 
He said, and that one? See, that's my church. He said, and what's that one? He said, that's my other church, but I split from that one. <laughs> Isn't that the scene today? That's where I was. And then I discovered something. Because God asked me, Gil, whose idea is the church? You see, the church is not a strategy. If you're here to learn a strategy today, you miss it out. It is God-ordained way of doing His work His way. We love to quote that passage, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. On this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. However you interpret that verse, what does prevail mean? Anybody? What? To win? Yes. Okay. So, is it one from passivity or action? Action. So often the picture we have is the gates of hell. Hell will not be able to come in. Our fortress is secure. Let's throw that evangelistic hand grenade over, you know, and see what God can do. But we are safe. No. When it says the gates of hell will not prevail it, it means the church of Jesus Christ, which you and I are part of, we're moving forward, and guess what? Those gates, and they, they, they're trying to get, but they will not prevail. We will go in, we will reclaim what Satan has taken that doesn't belong to him. We will reclaim people that belong, that Jesus has died for. And he said, that's my people. We will have the privilege to do what those great Moravian missionaries, back in the 1700s, when they wanted to go to um, West Indies and they couldn't go because the government said we don't want any Christians there. And the only way they could go was to sell themselves as slaves. And against their parents and against their family's wishes, these beautiful young men sold themselves as slaves. And in Copenhagen's, Copenhagen's harbor, as that boat was taking off, and they were literally in shackles. And the families were weeping on the side. They raised their hands and they said, May the Lamb receive His reward. And we know the church grew in the West Indies because of them. And Moravian, Moravian mission work worldwide. It's probably one of the examples of integral mission. What's new? It's the church. And if the context is new, uh, I have to show this to you because it's about new wineskins. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And both are preserved. This new thing God is doing, we cannot try to use the old structure for it. That is many times the problem. Local churches and pastors say, okay, we want to get in step with what's going on new in missions. And one of them, I'll go through some of the traits there, and they try to keep the structure as it is, controlling, not permission giving, not willing to adjust, not willing to reconstruct. And the result is organizations blow up, churches blow up, mission organizations blow up, and the new work is wasted. Because also in Luke 6, and that same passage is quoted, it says, and no one after drinking old wine Wants the new, for he says the old is better. If you want to be in step with what God is doing, accept the fact you're going to face opposition. People don't want it. Churches want to survive. In a previous lifetime, 
I was very involved in local in a local church. Um, by the way, before I took my present position, I uh, served for six years as the global director for the peace plan at uh, implementation at Saddleback Church in Southern California. That's the mission program there. And I was also I started as the global director for the HIV/AIDS initiative, and then they later asked me also to do the implementation of the whole peace plan. But but here, here's the thing. In the local church, unless you have, like I had the privilege there to have a pastor who's willing to go where no one else has ever gone, things get stuck. And you just have to understand, that's part and parcel of, of, of what it means. And it means to reconstruct. Because as we're going to see, that's the old model of mission. I'm going to go fast through this. Hospital, somebody must have donated a lot of money. Probably three, four million dollars, could have been five. And in a few years, that's what's left. Some of it is war-related, some is just no infrastructure. Nobody thought about it. But that was missions. And that's a result of missions. And I think that symbolizes what has been going on in missions worldwide. Good intentions where helping people cause more hurt than help. Um, a, doing more harm than good. That's been going there. Uh, this article, I always refer to it. It's from my old country, South Africa. And you can see there a lady, young woman, was one of many that came for voluntary AIDS testing at the Rob Ferreira Hospital. When we informed her that she was lucky to be tested negative, the desperate woman said she wanted the 740 rand, which is about $100, grant, and therefore had to be infected. Okay, let that sink in. What they don't understand is that this, this disability grant will only be paid to a person who's too sick to work. But because there's money, World Bank, World Health Organization, money, 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 that's the solution, right? And we in missions, if we can take stuff, you know, let's go on a mission trip and let's take stuff with us and give it to people, that's all the issues. No. The role of a church and pastors are not to give stuff, but it's to bring the life of Christ and themselves. And we're going to see how that works. There's a whole literature about what's going on in the world of missions. I don't have time to go into that. This is a critical book. If you don't have it, get it. Michael Johnson, African-American pastor from Atlanta, at least a physician. And the title says it all. He said, often when we as Christians come and we work somewhere, people are worse off than before. So... When I say the role of the church is new, you've got to think a new paradigm. You've got to be willing to see things like you've never seen it before. I'm working on an article at the moment that could become something bigger. Vuda Jay. You know, deja vu, everybody talk about deja vu, right? Vuda Jay is the opposite. It's where you see something, but you see like you've never seen it before. That's what we have to ask God for us to do. Because it's time for the church to be church again. When you study the book of Acts, it is natural that they just help with physical, spiritual, and emotional issues everywhere. My goodness, in, in Acts 6, they got the deacons going because one of the issues was how do we feed these um, multicultural widows of ours? So it was a given for them. Roman historians write that it's amazing. These people from this group calling themselves Christians are the only ones willing to bury the lepers. 
And then, you read in the Middle Ages, who were staying in the villages when everyone else had left? It was Christians. Many times to peril of their own lives. Hospitals, schools, that was simply part and parcel of the work of the church. But somewhere in the equation we lost it. And I submit to you, it's time for the church to be church again. And God is raising up His church. You see, God longed for the broadest, most diverse social network of the planet, the church. To rise up like never before to engage the great causes of our day. To stand for the vulnerable, especially orphans. To feed the hungry, to heal the sick. To meet the needs of our neighbors as Jesus did. At World Relief, where I work at the moment, that is what we've said is our statement. Our deep belief. And I hope you can share that one. You see, and we've got to understand integral mission. And you'll hear me talk about integral. Obviously, my office, I'm vice president for integral mission. And why do we use that terminology? Because I think as part as we go through this reformation of missions, we need, need a, a consistent nomenclature. The names or terminologies we use have to be easily understood by everyone. Integral or holistic mission training is to develop healthy, growing, and self-sustaining local churches who reach out to share God's love with the hurting, the helpless, and the hopeless in their communities. Notice there, the goal... The outcome, the deliverable, is growing, self-sustaining local churches who reach out to share God's love. It's churches mobilized to do it. It's every member on mission. It's recapturing what the book of Acts did. You know, nameless, fearless people. You read in Acts 7 when the persecution started. The church was scattered. Everybody went everywhere preaching the gospel except the apostles. Who are those people who don't have names? Acts 11 tells us these fearless, nameless people went on preaching the gospel where they were. Lives were changed. And then there's a small little thing it says, and for the first time, they were called Christians in Antioch. What's a Christian? Literally a little Christ. These guys didn't go out on a very expensive branding campaign. What is the brand we need? What's the logo we need? What will be catchy? How can we get people? No. People begin to say, my goodness, you disgusting. you just like that Christ we put on the cross. You little Christs. Wow. That's the church. Not respectable. So often we say, let's hobnob with dignitaries and politicians. And uh, I had the privilege of meeting with several world leaders. Not because I'm anybody. Because I happen to be on the coattails of other people that invited me in all the time. But I begin to think about this. In the New Testament, the only people who spoke to world leaders were those who were in chains. That's the church. And if a church doesn't speak with a prophetic voice, that means speak God's truth into the situations where we are right today, it doesn't work. We have to come back and be willing to call injustice sin. Don't have time to go into the story. I grew in South Africa, apartheid. And that's where people had the most sinful practices of discriminating and hurting people just because of the color of their skin. And yet, they say, we're God's people. 
I mean, let's face it, here in the Deep South, I was in the Deep South for the past three days speaking at a college there. And I told them, I said, back in the 40s here in your backyard, on Saturday nights they would lynch a person because he happened to be black, and on Sunday morning the same people were singing, what a friend we have in Jesus because they are deacons in the church. You talk about a disconnect between what I believe and what I practice. Integral says no. It is the church doing that. And integral mission is about ordinary members of the church who live out the great commission and the great commandment. And and, and let's get this one. Wasn't the great talk last night? You, You know, and when you really think of the great commission, the great commandment is one of the things Jesus taught us, right? You cannot even begin to say, I'm fulfilling the great commission unless you also live out the great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And that is the role of the church, because people forget it. That's the role of pastors. And by the way, if you're a pastor here, can I say, Pastor, don't ever step down to become a king or a president. You're a pastor. Pastor people. And whether you're male or female, doesn't matter. If God has given you that calling in your life, you pastor people, you build them up. Because the spiritual being of a church is critical for the growth of the kingdom of God. Ordinary people. The other thing is integral mission always takes place in community. I mean, don't think of of a one-man show. And very important, integral mission is about church-initiated and community-based developmental programs. Now, there's a big difference between church-initiated and church-based. Church-based is the stuff where I think the old paradigm, what usually happened is there, somebody happened to get a big grant, right? Money usually drove a lot of the stuff. If we don't have money for something, God doesn't want us to do it. And I hope you don't have that mind, that the church has to say, money follows ministry. What is God calling us to do? That's the important thing. But the church-based program is something, okay, somebody has, say, a million dollars. He has a passion for orphans. And she or he go out to a number of local churches and say, can we do our program in your church? And they say, of course you can. I mean, which country in the global south is going to say no? And then they go and they base their program in their church. And they say, by the way, can we hire a few people in your church? Of course. And they do their stuff. So eight people are employed. Maybe 300 kids receive a certain stipend every month or it's built in. And then after a while, the money run out. What happened then? It's dead. They go home. And they say, okay. And the people say, well, we'll get someone else to do their thing in our church. Church initiated is where the pastors begin to say, wow, is this God's heart for orphans? But what's wonderful for me about a year and a half ago in one community we were working, when the pastors told me, he said, Dr. Gill, even if you guys leave today, we're going to do this. Because this is what Jesus wants us to do. It's, we've trained about a little more than 3,000 volunteers. And they said, we don't want to be called community peace volunteers anymore. Special meeting called. I have to come. I got there. I said, okay, greetings. And what is my mind saying? We don't want to be called volunteers because we want money. money. We do so much work. 
And then their spokesperson says this, a very articulate lady. She said, we talked about it. Can you call us servants, please? Because after this three and a half years of training, we're not volunteering, we're serving Jesus Christ. A volunteer can quit anytime he wants to. We don't want to quit. We're doing this because we serve the King of Kings and we know one day he's going to say, well done. I say, yes, that is the church. That is church initiated, church owned now. But the church doesn't exist for itself. So often churches want to do programs and what's in it for us, right? And that's why we say it is church initiated, but it's community based, the entire community. I think in the ideal work where it, this happens, it, the church gets, uh, God gets the glory, the church gets the recognition. And people say this church is relevant and the whole community is blessed physically and spiritually. Uh, I don't have time to go into a lot of the practical things we've done. But this is what I just said. So we do not work with the church but through the church. You get the difference there? If I work with you, if I say I'm going to work with Kevin, then Kevin and I go hand in hand and we do stuff. But if I say I'm going to work through Kevin, that means I'm going to invest time in Kevin. And I'm not going to take Kevin's hand. Next time Kevin's going to stand here and do what I'm doing. Because now I'm speaking through him. And he increases and I decrease. Get that? That's the role of the church. Especially the global north as we work with the global south. And is to see how they can be lifted up. So it's now coming through the church. Uh, with work with orphans often. We stopped work at my previous church. Because everybody was so easy to hop in a car and you drive over the border into Mexico. Once a month and you go and you rock babies and you give stuff and you come back and you show the photo. See how I serve Jesus. And so we said, no, from now on, you can go. But if you want to go with the endorsement of our church, you have to go and connect up with another local church there where you go. And they have to go with you to the orphanage where you work. Because the goal is to empty those orphanages. And you're there one day a month. What happened the other 30 or 29 days? And there was quite some storming, trust me. But you know, at the end, culture began to change. And all of a sudden, people begin to work through the church. It's also a church initiated and a church based, and then with one church, uh, not only one church, but with all the churches. That's critical. We're the body of Christ. I think the role of a church, and if uh, it's not to be on itself, We've built in exercises. So when the church is mobilized in the area, we work like God wants us to work together in unity. That takes time. But it uh, prevents competition. It allows all the gifts to function. And it's amazing how it changes and transforms communities. Integral mission is the proclamation and demonstration of the gospel. If you forget everything else I say today, remember this. It's the proclamation and demonstration of the gospel. Guys, the bottom line is this. If you are involved in a great medical work, whether it's an AIDS clinic, whether it's a TB system, I mean, we've got a, a numerous child survival program programs and women empowerment programs worldwide in my organization. And for us, what I'm busy put, bringing in are indicators to tell us, we're working in region A. Next to us in region B, wonderful, moral atheists are working. 
providing clean water, working with an orphan, working with child survival. After five years, what's the difference in our outcomes? I submit to you, if the outcome is the same, you've wasted your time. Because if we don't take Jesus with us, we have nothing to offer to the world. And if we don't go to the world, we deny Jesus. And it's not easy. It takes new thinking. And we've got to say, the role of a church today is to be willing to be that think tank, to be innovative, to say, how do we do it different so the outcome is different? That we don't just do what any other atheist can do. And by the way, don't say, well, if I don't do it, nobody will. That's not true. People are in bidding wars for contracts to go and work with children, to go and work and do development work. There are bids going in. Many of you may be part of that whole system. Where you say, why am I the best person to get this grant? And then one person, one organization selected out of the possible 200. So, bottom line is there's 200 other groups that wanted to do it. You've got to tell yourself, what will be different because I bring Jesus into this equation. And if I cannot bring Jesus into this equation, I've got no business to be there. Let others do it. Make sense? And here it is. It's not simply evangelism and social involvement are done alongside each other. That is the old paradigm. Curriculums are written that way. This is how we do it and this is the spiritual part. No, it's to think what does it mean that our proclamation, gospel proclamation has social consequences as we call people to love and repentance in all areas of life. And our social involvement has evangelistic consequences as we bear witness to the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. Get it? That's why the pulpit, the pastor's role is one that has to proclaim this. He has to speak about the injustices going on in our world. We have to be willing to say this is sin. This is wrong. And at the same time, we have to be willing to say when we do that, it's done in the name of Jesus Christ. My work is different from a moral, wonderful, atheist friend who's doing the same thing. Guys, the biggest threat to Christianity is not persecution. It is a watered-down gospel. Because we end up with what I call moralistic, therapeutic deism. We do our work, oh, we're Christian, but we talk about a God or Him. And, you know, we don't offend people. The gospel offended. The gospel will either draw people to Christ or it will draw rocks to you. And we've got to be saying, that's fine. And we're not going to let people tell us we cannot do both. Amen. And we're not going to let money control us and say, well, the money, take the money, we cannot do it. No, figure out. Part of our whole strategy is, and it's, it's a pretty heavy budget we, we're balancing where I am. But we are raising up private funds, beginning to match what government is giving. Because it's out there, people are looking for fundable Christian work. Christian philanthropy has been hoarding, because they say, we're tired of putting money down black holes. Isn't we support Christian organizations, what do they do? They shoot the arrow against the wall, they take the paint, they put the paint around the arrow and say, praise God, we shot the bull's eye. No, they want strict measurement and evaluations. They want to say, yes, we want excellence in our technical work, but we want to see the gospel there to transforming people. That's the call. That's the role of the church. Not to sit on the sideline, not to 
say, I'm so sorry, I want to protect myself. No, to go boldly and know it could mean suffering. But we're doing it. And when the suffering comes, may it be because of the cross of Christ, not our stupidity. Because that's so easy. You see, I deeply believe people today have not rejected the gospel. They rejected the caricature of the gospel. And it's your and my task to present the life-changing life of Christ in it. Three scriptures that says this so clearly. When Jesus appointed 72, he told them, heal the sick who are there, and then preach the word fell off. The kingdom of God is near you. When he sent the 12, what did he do? The same thing, right? He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Begin to see a pattern? And of course, what happened in Matthew 9? Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. It's not either or, it's a both and, it's together all the time. It's not next to each other. I always say it this way, when we do medicine, we don't do medicine so that we can get the opportunity to preach the gospel. No, doing medicine is gospelizing, because Jesus would have done it. And it's for us... And that's why last night's message, I think, is critical because it's our being that is so critical in this whole model. Our outcome, if you do through integral mission, or you can call it holistic mission, the outcome has to be people more conformed to the image of Christ. It does not mean they will be believers. But are there something in them that have brought them closer to step across the line and embrace Christ? That's integral mission. Because they saw your life. Because you now intentionally are praying for them. And by the way, do we believe God answers prayer? You know, uh, and and I'm, I'm convicted there. Because I realize at times, my wife put me to shame as she believes in prayer. Her ministry is with the persecuted church and... It is on prayer they're moving forward and people joyfully lost loved ones and they just keep on going for God. Integral mission is not next to each other. It is our gospel proclamation has social consequences and our social work has gospel ramifications. Forget what I've said. Remember that one. Change will be constant. Now some things is obvious it has to change, Right? I mean, after a while we see it like this one. For a better start in life, start cola earlier. How soon is too soon? Not soon enough. Okay, we, we don't do that anymore, do we? But other things are not as easy to see. You see, in, in Luke 22, Jesus said, uh, he asked him, when I sent you out with a purse, a bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag, and you have... And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy out. If I was one of the disciples, I would have said, time out, Jesus. I mean, what's this change about? Well, it's like a new dispensation starting for them. Change is a given. We don't like it. I've got a little thing in my office of Dilbert. It says, change is good. You go first. And, And... That's how we are. This is who we are. But change is everywhere. And even in the gospel it comes in. And we see Paul will later on bring articulate theology for change and adaption. 
and fitting in into what God wants us to do. Nine critical shifts in mission we've got to. This is a whole lecture, so I'm just going to let you look at these and think about it. The things that are taking place, and you may want to add to this. The one of them is we've gone from being doers to equippers. I think that's pretty coming out. If you just walk through the uh, display here, you'll see about 60% of the advertisers here, the booths, emphasize that. From being in charge to building equal partnerships. We kind of understand colonial and new colonialism, that's unbiblical. And people are moving on. From owning, controlling, to counting nothing as our own. That's a tough one, but we're getting there. From Western missionaries to global missionaries. That's important. Missions is from everywhere to everywhere. There are more Christians in China than there are members of the Communist Party in China. Did you know that? There are hundreds of what is called vulnerable mission organizations worldwide. That is mission organizations in the global south. My passion and heart are with them. They are themselves spontaneously owning the task and say, we want to go. In West Africa, in Nigeria, the mission organization there have sent about 13,000 missionaries to different churches all over West Africa, Muslim uh, areas. We're working with an exciting project in um, Kenya at the moment, Turkana, which is a very... Uh, barren place. You go to nowhere and go five mile extra, as a guy said yesterday, and that's where you found Turkana, close to Somalia and Sudan border. With a church here in the U.S. and a church in Nairobi, Kenya. And the Kenyan church committed $260,000 over five years to see the unreached, unengaged people in Turkana rich for God. I grant you it's an unusual church, but it's Kenyan. They already put up the first $54,000 for this year. They're training their own people. Teams are going out from there with teams from from here. Medical clinics are established. We're going to do, as some of you know, in Western Rwanda, I did a project there, and we're going to put that baby on steroids as we do it there in Turkana because it's the local church owned. It's, it's new. From dependency to self-sufficiency, from addition to multiplication, people are getting that one. Scaling is critical. There's not enough missionaries in the world. There's not enough educators in the world. There's not enough pastors in the world to fulfill the Great Commission. But there's 2.2 billion people calling themselves followers of Jesus. And they say, we're ready. We want to move from spectators to participators. And let's mobilize them. That's how scaling will take place. From competition to cooperation. We're still wrestling on that one. But it's at least moving. Emphasizing our brand for working for his brand. More and more you'll see that. And by the way, if you're an organization, if you see an organization that's all about their brand, red flag. And then from agency-based missions to church agency synergy. Agencies will always be needed. The reason I went from where I did to where I am today um, with this agency I'm at is because I deeply believe there's a new role for agencies. 
as the facilitator, as the, the empowerer that can help the global north and global south work together, do training both ways and make sure. And you can be part of that because you are culturally sensitive. The fact that you sit in this room says, I care about Jesus, I care about the church, I care about medical missions, which will be the only door people can go into countries very soon. By the way, at um, Luzon, Cape Town, I don't know if you know it, but South Korea committed themselves to put 100,000 missionaries in the field within the next eight years. And the church in China did the same thing. America, by the way, is only 11% of world Christianity. Let that sink in. We're not it anymore, folks. But God's church is rising up. And we've got to say, where do we fit in? Think of it with what's happening in missions, the mercury, and this is where the short-termers come in. And I say that was, the STM was a butt on the plane years, you know. Maybe should be two T's there. <laughs> butt on a plane. If you could afford a ticket, you're a missionary. And we should, remember mercury, what happened there? They just want to get something in the air and bring it down and say, hallelujah, it's a success. We've got to look at it that way. And then came the Gemini years. I mean, this is the time we say, wow, we're going to take a person around the earth actually for 48 hours in the air. That is great. And I view that as the training short-termers, accepting the in-betweener, the in-betweener as the new missionary. The person that's not necessarily going to stay in one country for 40 years. He's not going on a boat with his coffin there. But he'll be for a few years here and be empowering. And more than that, it could be for a few weeks or a few months only and back and forth empowering the local church. That is the missionary of the 21st century. And we kinda, we're kind of we going up there. What I submit to you, Jesus said, go to all the world. Just like Kennedy said, let's go to the moon. The goal was Apollo, and I think this is where we are now with our missions to un, unreached people groups and orality. Unengaged people groups, I should say. And orality issues. It's we're on a next level that we've got to incorporate and say, this is how we go on. And the church has to lead here. The church has to think, okay, how do we do it? How do we keep this in front of my people in the pew? How do we as churches mobilize ourselves? It's not pay someone else and we pray for them and we stay away. No, we're, we're right in there and we do it. It's a new reformation we're in. 1517, there was a reformation of creeds. Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on October 31st. By the way, it was not Halloween. It was Reformation Day, October 31st. And he said, the just will live by faith. And I submit to you that today we have a reformation of deeds. That's what the church is wakening up to. When you say what is new, it's the church and the church embracing its calling from God. And in both cases, it's a movement led by peasants, ordinary people, peasants. Think of the First Reformation. You know, when Martin Luther had to get the people going, he said, it's the masses that need to know it. And the first thing, they had to get the word in a way they could understand it, so he translated scripture into the common vernacular. Because the Bible was in Latin. And I submit to you, today many people don't understand scripture. We've got to make it known to them. In your friends, in college, and 
in med school with you, uh, in the communities where you live? Do they understand it? Do they have it? And we have to be innovative. You know, uh, Martin Luther said, I'm going to take some common bar songs because those people sit in the bars, those peasants, after they worked on the field. And he came up with a song. And you know what one song was? Hey! And the foam blew. And he wrote a song, A Mighty Fortress of God. And he contextualized the context. And the masses rose up. And the Reformation spread. And today, too, it's every person on mission mobilizing them. Ordinary people with compassion like Jesus. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. What do we read and learn from this? Jesus' response to physical illness. And this is where we as the church has to come in and do it. Jesus cared. Friends, the church of Jesus Christ has to care immensely about others. We cannot do projects. We cannot go on adventurous trips. We cannot do romantic excursions. It's because we care. And we can only care if we see the face of Jesus close up regularly and it become my life. And our hearts are broken for the things that God's heart is broken for. The other thing is he touched. Why did Jesus touch that leper? You know, I mean, when lepers walked in society in those years, they had to have this thing in front of them and say, Whoa! Whoa! I'm leper! I'm a leper! Go away! And people ran. Jesus went to him and physically touched him. I submit to you, that touch is what people need, what the church can give. That's what the church did, as I said, when they were the ones that the Roman historian wrote about, they buried the lepers. That's what they did to the great plague. That's what we have to do today, to go to places, not where there are a gazillion grants and a gazillion different organizations are bidding for that grant. I don't see people really bidding to go to places where martyrdom is a possibility. I've got one son serving at a place where I so wish he didn't serve. A little girl we met there. I met her when she was 13. She's now 17. She has permanent brain damage today. Because her daddy is a pastor. And police simply came to that, to her village, knocked on the compound. She opened. She said, is your father here? She said, no. They said, we're going to leave him a message. And they beat the living daylights out of her. Uh, we were part of flying her out, to a, out of the country because there was no hospital wanted to help her when they heard why she was hurt. The moment they heard that, state hospitals, which are the only hospitals there, didn't want to help. And the private clinic said, well, we can jeopardize our licenses if we help her. My son is serving then. I wish he didn't. But you know what? He's touching people. And when I see those little videos the other day of people being baptized in a bathtub, I say, yes, the church is being the church again. 
Because it's not in numbers. It's not in power. It's by the Spirit of God. And as we reach out to physically touch people, and people for the first time begin to learn basic things they never knew about health, and they're so thankful. Jesus touched, and He healed. We cannot always heal everyone. But if that is your passion, I hope you will embrace it and say, God, thank you. Thank you that I can prepare to alleviate the plight of people. Because you care for them, I want to care for them. A healing ministry is one that is synonymous with our Messiah. And Jesus' response dictates my response. Because he chose to suffer with him, we must choose to suffer. Think of the Reformation, the early Reformation. When those stood out for, for the truth, what happened? Did they get statues? Oh yes, John Huss got a statue, but uh, 400 years after the time. He got a little wood pile. That's what he got to stand on. And he got his hand tied behind him. And fire embraced him. But they carried the Reformation on. Those early people that reached out for Jesus Christ, may that same spirit captivate us again. And may we offer our presence and accept people unconditionally. I have to say something here, because in the field of HIV and AIDS, I so often find people not accepting those living with the virus, specifically in North America. You know, if I was driving down Interstate 65, or whatever interstate is close to you, and I know you will never, ever go faster than 65 miles an hour on the interstate, so... I'm speaking hypothetically here. Hypothetically, you were going 75. And as you were going, a little red convertible sports car passed you. And you say, wow, that guy must go about 100 miles an hour. He goes fast. And he has a companion next to him. The guy's name is Jack Daniels. And he is drinking Jack Daniels and going 100 miles an hour. And about five minutes later, you see a red crumpled car laying fire and a bloody body in this road. What do you do? You stop. You go to him. You look at him and say, you got what you deserved. And you get in your car and you go on, right? No. You call 911. You say, what can I do to help? Jesus never asked a person, why did you get this disease? Others did. Jesus never. He healed. He touched it doesn't mean he didn't address root causes. Like with the woman at the well, he at the end drilled down to the very heart of what her issue was. And he laid it out there. But there's a time for everything. Jesus embraced people. Unconditional acceptance. Make the church again be like that. The role of a church is to be Jesus to people. If I've lived 2,000 years ago and my grandson come and say, Daddy, I want to see God. I want to see Jesus. What would I have done? I would have said, okay, where's the man of Nazareth working today? And I'll say, that's Jesus. If he come to me today and say, Opa, I want to see Jesus. Where do I take him? Where? The church. I'd be able to bring him and say, this is Jesus. What upsets me deeply and grieves me deeply, and I think that's part of... Why integral mission has to become our breathing way of life again is in 2000, and at least in 33 AD, the sinners flocked to
to Jesus. You couldn't beat them away with a stick. And today, sinners are repulsed and repelled by the church. And we say, once you're like us, you can come in. And if anybody dared to say, let anybody come wherever your lifestyle choices are, we say, oh, that's a weak, compromising church. No. The church has to be there, firm in its own beliefs, knowing sin is sin. And Jesus expects us to live holy for him. But we live in a broken world that desperately needs the touch of Jesus. And the church has to be that touch. If the church is not that, who will? I want to conclude here with a little video. Okay, let me just get this one. I thought I had it here. Yeah. Wow, I could become a tech.
I can't do much. I'm not a doctor. I do not have the cure. But here I am. I used to tell my congregation to help people who are sick. I thought that was my only job to preach about compassion. But what is true Try it one more time and then I guess it doesn't work. Let me take it there. Um, our time won't allow. I'm sorry. If you email me, I can try to let you get a copy of this one. Let me just see one thing here. That, that's where I worked. Yeah, it, 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 it might be on that too now, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll put it on the website here. Um, anyway, the, the bottom of what Stratton came to the conclusion was that he said, my ministry of presence can change people. My ability to be there for them, not only to help promote healthy lifestyles and address issues, but to physically be there and pray with them. And as people die and as people go around, the church is there and all of a sudden... Uh, I, the professor, speaking several times in his church as we worked very close together the past six years. And to see his life transformed, to see a pastor begin to understand what the role of the church is. And for the church to move on. That's the reformation in the church. 
integral mission. I hope you'll go from here, and if nothing else, you'll say, may my gospel proclamation have social consequences, and may my social work have gospel implications. Terry, uh, the, why don't you just say briefly something about that conference coming up? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you and we say thank you, Lord Jesus, that you became like one of us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. I pray that each man and woman in this room, the Lord, that you will touch our lives and enable us to do our gospel proclamation very intentionally with social ramifications. And as we do our social work, our clinical work, that there will be gospel implications all the time. Teach us. We confess as your church we don't know how to do it yet well. But we want to learn. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here. God bless you.